Well, good morning and greetings to each of you this morning. In Jesus' name, the, the weather this morning was just about my all-time favorite. Every year, I just love those little bit cooler mornings, clear sky. We were coming up from the chicken house and a deer darted from the chopped corn into the standing corn. And it just thrills me to see the beauty of God's creation. And we sang the first song this morning talking about beauty. And, and I was thinking about that and the Sunday school lesson this morning and the message this morning. And I was thinking that God wants to create beauty in our lives. And that's why He gives us the truth. And so two weeks ago, I, I talked about the nature of, or three weeks ago, I talked about the nature of truth. And I said I was preparing for this message and doing that. And uh, I'm thankful to say that the message this morning, I don't know that anybody in our congregation specifically needs the message this morning. Meaning that it, I don't know that it is pointed in any way at anyone. But there's another sense in which we do need the message, I believe, because it's born out of what God has been doing in my life over the past years. And in my relationship with the truth, and when I come face to face with the truth, what do I do with that? And so I bring you the message this morning in that context. And, so, and I think it's in that sense that we all need this message this morning because we all come face to face with the truth. And what do we do with it when we come face to face with it? <clears throat> this morning... The title of the message this morning is The Truth and I. I'm going to begin by reading a passage from 1 Corinthians that I think of when I think about council meeting. This is our council meeting, fall council meeting service. And uh, when I think about council meeting, I think about these verses. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do shew the Lord's death till He come. So council meeting is in preparation for uh, communion, observing the death of the Lord through participating in the taking bread and the cup. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For as many, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we are judged, sorry, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And so this is a call for us to examine ourselves and to look at our lives and see if we are at a place where we can take of this bread, we can take of this cup, that we can be part of the body of Christ, that we are part of the body of Christ. And as we take those symbols, that we are taking those symbols in a, in a way, in an, out, an outward way that is representing what is happening within us or what has happened within us that we are part of the Lord's body. 
one of the phone team members for the Billboard Evangelism line likes to ask callers this question, where are you with God? And he's not talking about an intellectual knowledge of who God is. He's talking about a heart condition in relation to God. Where are you with God? And we need to examine ourselves in relationship with that. And it shouldn't just be something that happens once a year. It needs to be something that, that is ongoing in our lives. Because we face the reality of life all the time. And we face the truth on a regular basis. And what do we do with that? In Malachi 6, it says this, God says this about Himself, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And that word there for Lord means the eternal self-existent One. So we think about the nature of truth and what truth is. That it is a fixed reality. And that's what God is saying that He is. He said, I'm eternal and self-existent. I don't change. This is who I am. Where are you in relation to that eternal self-existent being? Three weeks ago, I, I said this in my message, and I want to, to say it again and then build on that. If you want the benefits of truth, you must come to it on its own terms, not your own. Man cannot change the truth. He can only choose how he will relate to it. He can either seek it, find it, and adhere to it, or reject it, and accept the consequences. And so the, the question isn't about where God is. The question is about where we are in relation to Him. In James chapter 4, the first part of the verse says, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. And you see, that verse is, is telling us that we have the capacity to hold God at arm's length. That we can say, God, I'm not coming any closer to you than this. I'm not coming any closer to where you are than this. And I have that capacity. And God gave us that capacity. And it's a capacity called choice. But He's also given us the truth about who He is. And the truth about reality in His Word by giving us His Word. And so the last part of the verse says this in relation to drawing nigh to God. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So we have an active role to play in that drawing nigh to God. And cleansing our hands is talking about the things that we do. And purifying our hearts is talking about what's hidden inside. The things within. You can turn for a text to the book of Luke, chapter 8. This is a parable of Jesus. And I'd like for us to consider or examine ourselves in the light of this parable this morning. Beginning at verse 4, And when much people were gathered together and were come to Him out of every city, He spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. 
And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell upon thorns are they, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, cover it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they might enter, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, taken even that which he seemeth to have. So this is an interesting parable to me, in part because we have the parable that Jesus told the crowd, and then we have Jesus explaining to his disciples what the parable meant in spiritual terms. And so as I go through this parable, uh, I want to use both the verse where he tells it to the, to the crowd as well as the verse where he explains it to his disciples together as we look at each one of these soils. But first of all, I'd like to look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, the seed is the Word of God. And so I'd like for us to think about a couple things in relation to this. One of them is that, that seed is something that reproduces after its kind. And so this parable is talking about spreading the Word of God in the sense that it will reproduce after its kind. I'd also like to think about the fact that this parable is not about soul winning. Uh, this parable, or even us spreading God's Word, but rather it's a parable about how we receive God's Word. It's what we receive or how we receive that seed. And whether and, and the way that we receive the seed is relative to what we produce in our life. The condition of our person. So how would God describe the soil of your heart this morning? And if He would describe it, do you want to know the truth? Because you see, there's your personal interest that's involved in this condition of your heart. Ravi Zacharias said, and I, and I find this really interesting to think about, he said, many of us have the assumption that, we, that people really want to know the truth. But he's not sure that that assumption is true. Instead, we come to an ideological conclusion or we we come to a conclusion about what we think the truth should be. 
And then we interpret things to match that conclusion. And so if we have an idea about what the truth should be, and that is a wrong concept, then we're going to interpret things wrong. G.K. Chesterton said, Truth, of course, must of necessity be stranger than fiction, for we have made fiction to suit ourselves. And I think that is so profound in the sense that in our lives, we are looking at the world in a way that either is open to the truth or we are shifting it to suit ourselves. We're shifting what we see to suit ourselves. Are we writing our own fiction? Or do you love the truth? To give truth to him who, know, who loves it not is but to give more plentiful material for misinterpretation. And that's a quote from George MacDonald. And, and I've thought about that quite a bit. And I think about it in my own life. If I don't want something to be true, I'll take the evidence and manipulate it. In 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, Paul talks about a powerful being deceiving people with signs and lying wonders, and that they will receive a strong delusion. And then he gives the reason why they receive the strong delusion in verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so there needs to be a, a love for the truth that exists in our hearts and in our lives that's part of this being at a place where we can receive the truth and where it can benefit us and where it can bring forth fruit. And our love comes out of the heart of who we are. In John 18.37, Jesus said, Everyone who is of the truth hears My voice. And then talking to the Jews in John 5.37, Jesus says this, And the Father Himself, which hath sent Me, hath borne witness of Me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. Now here were these people who knew the Old Testament. They knew the words that had been given by God to that point. And Jesus says to these people, you have neither heard God or seen Him. Why was that? It's because, and, and you see these people were doing all these outward things that were supposed to be part of following what God wanted. But Jesus said, you don't even know who He is. You haven't even heard Him. And there was a barrier in their heart. Because in verse 40 of that same passage, Jesus says, Ye will not come to Me that ye might have life. So there was a resistance in their person to who Jesus was. In John 8, Jesus says, Who will hear God? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear Him not because ye are not of God. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about who we are within, that love for the truth that comes out of being part of God's family. So there must be, and we talked about this in men's class, we talked about the, the spiritual enlightenment that comes from the Holy Spirit. 
There has to be the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives for us to love the truth. And when, when we experience new birth, we experience a love for the truth that changes who we are. And we're of God. And then we can hear God's words. That's why Jesus says at the end of verse 8, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the, in the text passage. So Jesus taught that our acceptance of the truth will come out of who we are, come out of our heart. But He also taught that our actions are a result of that content, the content of our heart. And we often hear that what's in the heart is what really matters. And what's in the heart does matter because it has to be right. It has to be made right with God for us to be acceptable to Him. But too often I think the reason why we say that is because we're actually excusing actions in our lives. But what Jesus taught is that the heart is simply the motivator that brings forth the action. In Romans 10.10, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, there's the belief is unto righteousness. And so when there's, a, when there's a change of heart, when there's belief, then that comes forth in righteous living. And with the mouth confession is made. And so you see, there's, there's things that happen as a result of that belief. And we can't divorce those two things. What, what I do and what I love go together. They're with each other. What I'd like for us to do this morning as we look at these soils is to think about that I need to evaluate my life both in the internal aspect of who I am and what I am doing. And do they line up? Does what I say... I believe. Is that really true in my inner person? And is what is in my inner person coming out in the way that I'm living? Luke chapter 8, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And then verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the Word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So, the Word of truth was there. Salvation was there. It was put out onto the ground. How did the devil have access to it? It's because the, the ground was hardened. And the, the, influence of, the influence of people had hardened the surface of the ground. People had trodden it down. And it was packed on the outside. And so the seed fell and was exposed and it was caught up and taken away before it could bring forth fruit. How can that happen to us? We talked just a little bit, Brother Claire brought this up a little bit in our Sunday school class. The influence of men, the influences around us can harden our soil. And I think one of the, one of the most major ways that our soil is being hardened is through individualism. 
Individualism is the attitude that the way I want to do things is good for me. And nobody else around me has any say into that. And God doesn't have any say into that. And it's a, it's a place of pride. The basis of a hard heart in the Scripture is pride. I know better than someone else. The basis of a soft heart is humility. Do you have a soft, receptive, humble heart before God this morning? One of the ways you can test that is with your level of submission. I'd like to think first of all about our level of submission to God. I have a friend that he and I have discussed the woman's veiling. And uh, we discussed it at length. We talked about the passages. Uh, we talked about why we practice it. I, I told him why we practice it. He talked about why he didn't practice it or his church didn't practice it. And our discussion concluded with him making a statement that if, if he came to the place where he felt convicted about it, he would start doing it. But the reality of it is, brothers and sisters, that our convictions do not change the truth. Our, our convictions need to be based upon what the truth says. And we might look at that and say, well, you know, that's we've got that under our belt, so why, why are you talking about that? Well, the reason I'm talking about that is because of a discussion I had with somebody else. He's an author of a book on the kingdom teachings of Christ that are often overlooked. And this book has circulated in conservative Mennonite circles. And he said he got a lot of negative feedback from people, from conservative people, on the issue of wealth. Because he addressed wealth in that book, but he didn't address the head covering or nonconformity. And they said, you should have addressed the head covering. You should have addressed nonconformity. And you should not have addressed this issue of wealth. And to me, brothers and sisters, that is an indication that we are not open to the truth. Because the teachings of the Scripture are very pointed on wealth and its dangers. Are we as submitted to God as we think we are? We need to honestly evaluate it on the basis of what God's Word says. I also like to talk this morning about submission within the brotherhood. The overall work of God, or the, the big plan of God, is to change the lives of men and women through the avenue of the heart. And God has set it up so that this work is accomplished through a team effort, through the church. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school class, and, and the Holy Spirit is given to bring unity to that church, to that body. But you know, God is a, has an ongoing process that He wants to work in our lives. It's a, it's a process of, of making us into who He wants us to be, more into His image, more into the image of Christ. And that brings us face to face with the truth 
of God's Word as we study it. But God knew that we needed to be submitted to Him. But to reach the level of humility that He wanted, that He that we all need to reach, we also had to be in submission to other fallible humans. Part of the body. And I'm not saying this because the church has the right to just make a whole bunch of rules and demand unreasonable things. That's not what I'm what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that our attitude towards the church and our attitude towards the things that the brotherhood has agreed upon are an indicator of where I am in my heart. And if we want the benefit of brotherhood, we must of necessity also submit to its restrictions. There are a lot of benefits that come to us through the brotherhood. And there's some constraints. But they provide us with a place of security and benefit. And it requires a level of submission on our part. It's not about the issues themselves. It's about my response. It's about the condition of my heart in relation to them. I was in a situation a couple, that's been quite a few years ago, where I came face to face with something that the church asked me to do that I really didn't want to do. And it felt to me like what the church was asking me to do was impractical and at some levels unreasonable. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me at that moment and saying, you know, what the church is asking you to do is actually not a bit harder than what you want to do. It's not, the difficulty is not in the thing that you need to do. The difficulty is where it's coming from. That's where the difficulty lay. It lay in my heart. And it was my decision about what I wanted to do with that thing. Was I going to accept it or was I going to continue to stand on my pride and my individual opinion? Non-issues became issues because of my heart issues. It really wasn't a big deal. It didn't hurt me a bit. In fact, it helped me. It helped me to understand my need for humility better that day. If I'm resisting something that I'm being asked to do, where is that resistance coming from? Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. But pride can be so subtle because that's not the only way that we can demonstrate pride. I heard a story this past week that just really hit home and I'm going to give you a little bit of a revised version of the story. There was a man that uh, had been driving a car for years and years and years and and it was getting old and worn out. And so he bought a new car. And the first Sunday morning he thought, you know, I'm going to drive the old car because I don't want to be proud of this new car. I don't want to be, I don't want to have pride as a result of taking this to church. And so he didn't drive it. He drove the old car. Next Sunday morning, he thought, you know, I'm just really going to feel pride if I, if I drive this car. And this went on for a couple Sundays. And uh, he'd been driving his old car. And finally he said, well, you know, I've got to drive this new car sometime. And so... He got in the new car and they were headed for church. And 
He got almost to church. He looked at his wife. He said, you know, I just don't feel like I can do this. And they turned around, went home, got the old car. They were back on the way to church. And he looked at his wife and he said, you know, I don't think there's many other people at church who would do this. You see, pride is so subtle because it can come in through thinking that we're better than the people around us because of what we do. Because we think we've reached a level of submission that's superior to other people or or a place of humility that's superior to other people. But brothers and sisters, God resisteth the proud and He giveth grace to the humble. And so it's it's the true humility that we're looking for. Not just an outward display of humility. Chapter 8, verse 6. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And then verse 13. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which, which a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. This heart is not able to deal with temptation and adversity. And Jesus said the reason for that is a lack of root, a lack of depth of root. So why couldn't the root go down? Well, it was because there was rocky soil. Underneath the surface, there was, there was hard substances. And out of that, I ask you this morning, what is the depth of your commitment to God? How deep has your soil been broken down? How deep has that happened? Is it just on the surface that it's been broken down? How deep does your level of commitment go? Jesus says this in Matthew 21, verses 42 through 44. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye not never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, grind him to powder. Are you falling on that stone this morning with all of your life, with the, with the depth of your heart? The call of the Gospel is to a completely broken heart, a completely surrendered life. Nothing less will provide the depth of commitment to be faithful to death. Maybe you look good on the service. Maybe it looks like you're living right. But are there areas underneath the surface that have never been broken before God? That you have never brought to Christ and fully surrendered to Him? And there were areas in, that, in my life like that after I became a Christian and it withstood the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And it wasn't until I took those things to Christ and I said, you can have these things and do whatever you want with them. You can completely take them away from me if you want to. It wasn't until then that the Holy Spirit really had freedom to work in my heart. And that I could be at the place where I could truly be part of God's kingdom. You see, our struggle with sin is an indicator of the depth of commitment in our heart. If we're struggling with sin as church or as an individual, we need to dig down to what it really means to be a follower of Jesus and what He really calls us to. Because the truth is that to be free, we have to give everything to Jesus. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's in the context of bondage to sin. 
a commitment of everything I possess. And in verse 6, it says that it withered because it lacked moisture. And that shallow commitment doesn't have the reserves, doesn't have the necessary moisture, doesn't have the living water in the spiritual sense to maintain our Christian living. And we wither because of the pressure of the world around us. Verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And that which, and then verse 14, And that which fell among thorns are they which when they heard, go forth and are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. This one's pretty clear. It's pretty easy. We can understand this one pretty, pretty easily. The cares of this life. Are you too busy or too occupied by the things of this world to fulfill the commands and directives of God's Word? I tell you what, that hits home with me. What am I busy with? What is my life full of? What are my cares? What am I focused on? All those things fall underneath the cares of this life. And riches are your possessions in an open hand before God. Or the pursuit, the pursuit of them shutting down your fruitfulness in the kingdom. Is your business or investments taking away what is rightfully God's? What is the impact of money on your life? What is it controlling? Are you considering, are you evaluating what money, how money is affecting your life and the pursuit of money? Pleasures. Is the fulfillment of pleasure driving your life? Can you hardly wait to do the next fun thing or the next fun event? Do the principles of God's Word get in the way of fun? See, that's all part of the pleasures of this life. Not saying that it's wrong to have fun, but saying that when they start to get in the way of the Word of God, of the truth, they become a hindrance to how the truth can have its impact on your life. Are there areas in your life that you're holding back from God because the sacrifice is too great? It would cost you too much of your money or reputation or time or freedom or pleasure or whatever the Holy Spirit lays on your heart. And what is your gauge for measuring your life? Is it comparison? Are you looking around you and saying, well, at least I'm doing better than that guy? Or is it the truth? Is, that, is the truth the gauge by which you're, you're making this evaluation? Verse 8, part A. And some fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. But that on the good ground, and then verse 15, and that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. An honest heart is one that comes face to face with reality. It comes face to face with the truth. And it doesn't hide from it. It doesn't make excuses about it. It evaluates it for what it really is. That's an honest heart. And it's sincere in its acknowledgement of pursuit. And I have talked to a lot of people who are not 
who do not really care about whether they actually come to the truth or not. They just want to win the argument so that they can feel good about themselves. And that's a challenge to me. Am I being honest with my heart before God? Am I laying myself out honestly before Him? I think honesty is so key in our Christian experience. A good heart is a heart that is open to being changed by the truth. It has been tilted down deep and broken up so that the deep things of God can find root, so that it can contain the living water. And then, when adversity comes, instead of withering the plant, the heat makes that plant grow. The intensity of the sun only damages the plant that doesn't have the depth of root and moisture that it needs. In the same way our Christian lives, the heat of adversity can strengthen us if, our, if our, we have an honest and good heart before God. If our hearts are open to Him. And then in verses 16 and 17, Jesus follows up this parable by saying that our relationship with the truth is going to be revealed. The truth that is in us is going to come out. In verse 18, He says, take heed how you hear. And I'd like for us to consider this morning that we can't just put off the things that we know to be true and expect things to stay the same. Because if we put off what we know to be true, we're going to, it's going to be taken away even what we have is going to be taken away. But if we embrace the things we know to be true and honestly allow them to change and affect our lives, then we're going to be, there's going to be more added to us. Essentially, what we sow, we're going to reap. have a little section of an article here from Christian Aid's website. In the end, truth will triumph. Men will continue down their bent to do evil, and the excuses will fly thick and fast. The urge to reinvent and redefine God's terms will continue to appear in a thousand voices. But someday, we will find ourselves under the gaze of God, and the truth He has planted deep within us will be obvious. There, all redefinitions will melt and we'll be left with the knowing we did not want to know, faced with the plan we did not want to follow and overwhelmed by the love we insisted was too restrictive. We will be left speechless as our works are reviewed. It could be most terrible or most glorious. That depends on our choices now. It will be too late then. I mean to face up with my responsibility to learn God's terms before it is too late. Will you do the same? Because in the end, truth will triumph. And the truth Himself, Jesus Christ, on that day will say, either, come you blessed of my Father, or I never knew you. Because you see, if we don't know the truth, the truth will not know us. 
and the heart of Christianity and the church is an intimate knowing of the truth embodied and personified by Jesus Christ. And he said this in John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And it's that intimate knowing and through that knowledge of the truth, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who hath called us to glory and virtue. You see, Jesus came to restore the truth to the heart of humanity and to recreate the beauty that God created initially when He made man in His image. Is that your life? Are you fully open to the work of the truth in your life? Or is there things in your life that you know are not as they should be? Bring it to Him. Surrender yourself to the truth. Fall on Him and be broken. And then, from an honest and good heart, the Word of God can bring forth fruit in abundance. May the Lord bless each one of us as we seek to examine our lives and our hearts and to walk with Him in a way that's pleasing. Shall we have a song?